Good morning. I'm glad to see you all here this morning and uh, to be here. Um, we are actually starting a new series today. Uh, might be uh, something you're familiar with. Uh, it is really dealing with the, the, the fear of missing out that... Uh, It refers to the feeling or perception that others are having more fun. Maybe they're living better lives. They're experiencing better things than we are. It involves a deep sense of envy and it affects self-esteem. So fear of missing out or FOMO. Apparently, you're supposed to say hashtag FOMO. The phenomenon is becoming increasingly more common, and it's in part due to social media. And it causes significant stress. And it it can affect just about anybody. And it's not just social media. In fact, it's something that's really always existed, Uh, right? You might uh, not get an invitation to a party where others that you know seem to be attending. Uh, And it might even be something like uh, there's a group of people and you don't get the inside joke that everyone else seems to get. Or you're not picked for a team. You're not invited to an event. Or uh, I I thought this one might be personal. Uh, For some of you, missing out on a good deal or a sale, right? And like, oh, I got to get in on that. And sometimes it's not just things you're aware of. Sometimes it's, it's just this imaginary thing. Uh, it's actually called the mystery of missing out or Momo. <laughs> and I didn't make this up. I know you guys think I did, but I didn't. Uh, by the way, after reading articles on this, I went to the psychological journals because I wanted to make sure I wasn't making something up, but this is like a real thing. Uh, or the, this one, I actually think I've, I've had to deal with this. There is a fear of, uh, better options. And it's the idea that if I commit to one thing, something better will come along. And then I'm like, wait, now I'm missing out on something better because I agreed to that. And so then it causes indecision. Uh, By the way, you guys can't see, but there's head nods. So you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, Social media is a big part of it though, because uh, social media is not real. I mentioned this last week that social media is not social. It doesn't bring us together. In fact, it, it tends to pull people apart. But, but social media, because it's not real, it gives you this idea that people are doing things and involved in things, engaged in, in activities and lifestyle, and you kind of miss out on the parts of their life that, that you're kind of dealing with every day, right? The struggles and the challenges, because we tend to not post those things 
right? I can't believe I got a flat tire. You know, we don't post that. We're like, I made it to work on time, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so we know social media is at the very least damaging to uh, the mental health of, of young people. We know that, but, but in fact, it's to anybody that can't uh, manage their time on social media. And so uh, a lot of it is about perspective, right? When you have this, this anxiety, this uh, fear, it's about perspective, so how do we deal with that? How do we, we fight that kind of anxiety? Uh, so we'll say it this way. First of all, um, since FOMO is based on faulty or incomplete information, uh, the response should be the truth, right? That we need to actually collect correct information. That's how we counter it. Truth should always be the priority for Christians, and let's be clear, it's not um, unguarded truth, right? Because there's a reason scripture says that we are to speak the truth in love, right? That it should be truth in love, not smug truth, not arrogant truth, but loving truth. And so that means that it's not that you don't say it, it's that you're careful how you say it. Right? That's what it means to speak the truth. In love, but, but truth is vital. Jesus said of himself, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Right? If, if Jesus is truth, we need to be intimately um, connected with the truth. And it's important that we do that, that we don't contribute to things that aren't true. So how best do we do that? Uh, I was thinking about it this, this way this week. I've talked to a lot of people, uh, often young people, but not always, uh, that are dealing with some sort of anxiety because of headlines that they hear about. They're being kind of pushed in the media. And I thought of one in particular. When I was in high school, we heard a lot about the killer bees. Now, you might be aware of this, especially if you're from the southwest of the United States. Killer bees are a thing. Uh, the headlines were really common. But what is a killer bee, right? In fact, it's not just called a killer bee. It's an Africanized killer bee. And so, I went, well, how did the bees get to the United States from Africa? And, and so here's how it worked. Uh, there was a geneticist in Brazil in 1956 that, that bred uh, European Western honeybees with African honeybees. And the reason he did it was because he wanted to increase honey production in Brazil. It sounds like a good thing. The problem is when you start doing that, you get uh, characteristics that are unintended. And the unintended characteristics was aggression. They were angry. And if you make people move to the southwest of the United States, you might get angry bees, I guess. And so the headlines were, were just rampant. Let me share some of the headlines that, that I've, I've found recently. 
the New York Post, uh, six people stung to death by killer bees after a bus plummets into a hive. So not only were you in a bus crash, but there were killer bees then that attacked. It sounds made up, but it was real. Smithsonian Institute says Africanized honeybees are dangerous because they attack intruders in numbers much greater than European honeybees, right? It's not just a bee or two. They get all their friends and come after you. Um, U.S. News and World Report, 40,000 killer bees sting a Texas man to death. And that's a real headline. Uh, CNN, uh, a woman in California was stung more than 200 times by killer bees. And then uh, this one is uh, from the Mirror uh, UK, uh, a news source. Killer bees attack California woman stung a thousand times. The headlines get your attention because that's what headlines do. And because they're doing their job and it's got your attention, you start to think, wait a minute, this is a serious problem. And, And if all of those things happened within a short span of time, I would agree. Yet, the, thousand, the, the California woman that was stung a thousand times, that was in 2014. The California woman that was stung 200 times, that was in 2018. The Texas man that was uh, attacked by 40,000 killer bees, uh, that was in 2013. In fact, the only one that was recent was the bus, bus crash. That was in May of this year. When you take all of the information and you squish it down in the headlines, this seems like a, a very serious problem. The way we combat the anxiety is with the truth. The actual data about bee stings that cause death is that they're just not common. Between the year 2000 and 2017, a total of 1,109 deaths were attributed to stings from bees, hornets, and wasps all together. Okay? All right. Here's what matters. This, this really sums up the issue of the headlines. Two to three people worldwide die a year from killer bee attacks. Okay, now, these are real people, right? So, I mean, we don't just dismiss it out of hand, but statistically, two to three people, literally anything can happen to two to three people a year in the the world, right? All right, so it's not good. But when you consider other numbers, like... 42,795 people die in car accidents in 2022 in the United States alone, right? Obviously a much bigger number. 19 people died from lightning strikes in the U.S. last year. Five people in the United States died from shark attacks in the United States last year. And each year, more people are killed by vending machines than sharks. You see, we deal with anxiety with truth. 
Now, I might have given you something else to be anxious about. <laughs> and if not killer bees, vending machines. You guys know, apparently don't rock them because they fall. That, that's, that's the lesson. So it might be helpful to do a little bit of research to combat anxiety when headlines get your attention. Yet it is more important to combat any kind of anxiety with scripture. That's how we do it, right? So you hear a headline, you get anxious, do a little research, find out what, what's really going on. Because if you just go by the headlines, you're going to walk away with a very distorted sense of what's going on in the world. I can't believe I was ever nervous about killer bees. Now look, they're a real thing. They, they exist. There's, there's swarms of them in the southwest part of our country. Yet, statistically, they don't pose a threat. We should be far more nervous getting in our cars every day. So, when anxiety comes along, look at the truth. When you have anxiety about something, look for truth. And, and the first primary source of truth is God's word. We go to scripture. The truth of scripture is vital for a proper perspective. That's how we answer anxiety. Right? If you have a fear of missing out on something, if you think there is something else better out there, if you're trying to decide what you ought to do and ought not do, the answer is God's word. Read the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul wrote 2 Timothy to Timothy. So when it says the man of God, he's talking specifically to Timothy, but it means all of us, right? This is so every believer can be equipped for every good work. It's how we deal with anxiety. It's how we deal with fear. It's how we get a proper perspective on the world. Truth is essential. And that's why that proper perspective is so important. We start to think things like, I deserve better than this. When I see others doing well, why do I think things like, well, why not me? How come they get to do that? I have a, a, a friend of mine. She actually posted this last week. Uh, I have severe FOMO from seeing all the people seeing Taylor Swift. And I'm like, that's going in my sermon. Uh, you see, I'll just tell you this. It wasn't me uh, because until recently, I didn't know that Taylor Swift and Carrie Underwood weren't the same person. Uh, but I have learned they're not. So, um, but I'm okay that I missed the concert. So we look at the truth of scripture and that's how we get a proper perspective on what's going on around us. Truth is 
essential to that. So when you do have that fear that you're missing out, I'm going to say it this way. We combat the envy, right? The jealousy of that fear of missing out with contentment. We need to combat envy and jealousy of anything with contentment. Contentment is based in gratitude, right? When you understand that you have much to be thankful for, it is really hard to be jealous and anxious and say things like, well, why not me? How come I don't have that? When you're grateful for what you actually do have. Just like joy that is not circumstantial, it's a choice. Contentment is not based on our circumstances either. It's based on perspective, right? Of what God has already done. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So there's this sense that, that, uh, when there is a sense of, of, I deserve better, I want more, I should have more, why not me? That the writer of Hebrews says, be content with what you have. What is it that you have? He, he goes, look, let's get our priorities straight. It's not about money. It's not about what you don't have. It is this. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? That's how you counter that, that I want more, should have more, desire more. It's with the idea that God has already given us something far greater. Now, it's not just about money. So, right, that's not really what the verse is about. Um, it's about stuff. It's about circumstances, opportunities, right, that others seem to have. It's about desire, right? The things that I want. I will always hear Randy Lanthrop when I say that saying, but I want what I want, right? Because if we're honest, what I want tends to be my priority. Yet it's so much more important to realize that I've been blessed with so much already. So Paul also writing to Timothy in his first letter. This is what he says about desire. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, right? So it's about desire, but this, in this case, desiring to be rich. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and perceived themselves with many pangs, pierced themselves, excuse me, with many pangs, right? That it's, it's desire to be rich. It's a love of money. It's through this craving, right? It's things that you want instead of focusing on what you already have. And so, uh, what do we do about that desire that's kind of misplaced? It's, it's not 
passion for what is good. It's basically desire for something that is selfish. How do we counter that with gratitude and contentment? We lean into the blessings of God, right? Lean into what God has already done. There's a reason that he told us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we're supposed to focus on that. And so what is it that God has blessed us with? Well, I'd take you to Ephesians, right? Where Paul writing the church in Ephesus kind of describes some of that blessing. Chapter one, verse three, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. All right, so, so here's the spiritual blessing, he says, in the, the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. As sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us, in the beloved. God chose us. Now the fancy word here that he uses, right? It says he chose us before the foundation of the world. And then in verse five, he says, he predestined us. Some people have a hard time with that, right? They go, well, wait a minute, predestined. Doesn't that mean I don't have a choice that we, we start to see ourselves, are we like puppets or marionettes and someone's pulling the strings? And, and what does that really mean? Yet, There's so many examples in scripture that talk about God's will predestined that he, he said, this is what I'm going to do. And at the exact same time, the, the, the person that's the focus of that chooses and they always line up perfectly. And so you go, well, if God predestined, what, what do I get to do? Scripturally, you get to choose, and yet your choice is to line up with God's will. So they always go together. So it doesn't bother me when I read things like that, because I know that I got to choose to follow him, but I choose to follow him even as he first drew me. It gets pretty deep, but the point being that God has blessed us. Richly, God chose us, it says here in that passage, to be holy, to be blameless, and adopted. Okay, let's take those three very carefully. What does that mean? First of all, holy is is just the way to say set apart for a purpose, right? That if you're holy... It means unto God, whatever God desires for you has a purpose for you, for your life, right? When scripture talks about holy things, it's always holy for a purpose. It's not just this, this thing that I keep holy. It's holy for a purpose that's God's. That's what he called us to. That's part of the blessing that he has. He's called us to that purpose. The the second thing is, is blameless. Well, blameless means you're not at fault. Yet, Scripture's clear that we are at fault. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. Well, how can we be blameless and guilty? Jesus, right? Because Jesus then went to the cross. Scripture says that he is our atoning sacrifice. He bore our sin in our place that we wouldn't then suffer the penalty for our sin. Scripture says his death. He bore that. He died in our place that we might believe, be saved for eternal life. So we're holy, right? Set apart for his purpose. We're blameless because of Jesus on the cross. And then it gets exciting because it doesn't just end there. Okay, well, I'm going to bail you out and then go on your way. It says he also adopted us as children. Being adopted into the family of God means that you now get to participate in everything the family gets to do, right? Family goes on vacation, you're part of the family, you go on vacation. There's an inheritance, everyone in the family gets part of the inheritance. And we're not just being brought into a family, right? The church, as good as that is, being adopted into the family of God means that we have a heavenly father. And we're his children. You hear that a lot. That, well, we're, we're all children of God. Right? Every human isn't a child of God. We're all creations of God. Right? Made in his image. Image bearers of God. Yet, it's not through the blood of Jesus Christ that, and, and repentance that we are children of God. Adopted into the family. That's something to claim. That's something to look at and say, look, here we can celebrate what God has done in our lives. Paul wrote to the church in Rome and explained it so well. In chapter 8, starting in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Fancy way of saying you're just satisfying what your body wants, your, your desires. If you do that, you're going to die, Scripture says. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there's this idea that if, if you're, you're done with sin because of what Jesus did on the cross, then you can live in Christ. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are Sons of God, right? We just talked about that being adopted in. Children of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Fear of missing out, fear of, of the consequence of your sin, fear at all. We didn't fall back into that. He says, but you received the spirit of adoption. Getting, children, getting to be children of God. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons who cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. We get to inherit something. Something we didn't earn, something we didn't build, something that's not ours by any right except we're now part of the family. And we get something because of that. 
He says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's what it means to be part of the family. It's that we then, just like every child in your family bears the name of the family. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? We take the name of Christ as part of our own. And with that, we become part of that family. Now, if you're not there yet, right? If you're, well, okay, so... I'm with you. I understand some of this is, is easy. I kind of like the idea. I don't want, want to deal with anxiety and fear. And so, okay, but how do I get to be a part of the family, right? What do I do? It's not fancy, right? It's not, you need to say this prayer like I say it. You need to sign this document. You need to go through this class. It, it's not that. It is very much saying to God, God, I acknowledge myself as a sinner, someone who messed up, someone who broke your laws, did, right? We've all done it. I acknowledge that. God, will you save me? Will you forgive me? I know what Jesus did on the cross. I know he paid the penalty. Will you save me? And then, that's it, right? There's other things that follow after that, right? And there's important things that happen within the church. There's things that God does in our life that are just awesome. But those aren't things that have to happen prior to you telling God, please save me, right? The baptisms that come after, you bet first thing that, that we ought to do is say, this is what God did and get baptized. But you don't get baptized to get saved. No, God saves you and then you get baptized to celebrate what God did, right? You, you join a small group so you, you can get support and be a support to others, right? All of those things that we do. Uh, I do have some next steps for you today. Uh, in fact, I've already mentioned uh, social media. And, and so you're dealing with fear of missing out. You can turn off social media. I realize by saying that some of you are like, wait, if I turn off social media, I'll have more fear that I'm missing out. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. So maybe that's it. And then. And then I also mentioned uh, if it's fear, anxiety of, uh, of headlines, doing research, getting a little more information. It's a good way to handle that. And then uh, uh, schedule reg regular Bible reading and study. Uh, what I found about myself very early on when I became a Christian is if I didn't consciously set an alarm... And when the alarm went off, read scripture. When the alarm went off, spent time in prayer. And this was like before smartphones. So I could set like 35 alarms if I need to on my phone now. But I could set like two then. But I, that's what I did. Because that's when I knew I would read the Bible, spend time in God's word and pray. So I would encourage that. 
like intentionally do it. It doesn't happen by accident. So intend to do it. And then uh, focus on the blessings of God, right? Think through it, pray through it, thank God through it. God, thank you so much for what you've done and what you desire to do in my life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are, uh, are truly grateful for what you have done and what you desire to do in our lives. And Father, I'm, I'm thankful uh, that, that it almost seems like we're, we're talking about a topic that's uh, really nothing to be afraid of at all. And what I hope is that uh, that's because of our understanding of you and what you have done and that we're getting our priorities straight, our perspective right. We're understanding something better about you. Uh, Father, help us to, to grow in our gratitude and contentment, uh, not because of our circumstance, but because of you because of what you've already done. Understanding that there might very well be some pretty serious challenges going on in our lives, but we can trust you to be at work in them. And, and Father, if, if anyone perhaps today, today is the, the first day where they've said, God, I trust you for the first time. Pray that you be at work in their life as you begin to grow them to help them understand what you've done through Jesus Christ on the cross, bearing our sin. Father, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.